From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny, And I'm Benta Berkland. Well, we don't have a special guest today. Benta and I are recording this from our homes in Metro Denver. Benta, have you been out much lately? You know, I, I really haven't. Uh, a grocery store runner, too, and walking around the neighborhood when the weather's nice, but haven't been too many places. How about you? Um, I've been to the governor's press conferences two or three times a week, which is a decent excuse to get out of the house with my, my little mask. But the problem is that every time I go, I get a treat on the way home. I, I, I ate a uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich the other day on the way home, which is just, I can't be doing that. <laughs> I see all these pictures of people working out and getting really healthy during this pandemic. And I, I, I wish that was me right now, but unfortunately it's not. No, not me some news before we start this episode. With the state legislature still on a break, we're also going to take a bit of a pause on Purplish. Uh, We'll be on a break for the next few weeks. Not quite sure how long, but we will be back. Yeah, just like everything else in this situation, it kind of just depends on how everything shakes out and when the state political world really uh, moves into action again. But we will be there with the latest as it comes up. We're recording this episode of Purplish on the morning of April 16th, and this week we'll talk about the fate of some of the big bills still making their way through the legislature, paid leave, public option, and and what's next. Yeah, these were huge Democratic priorities during the legislative session, Uh, but now... A lot of things are up in the air, and we'll talk about how the state might recover from the coronavirus economically, start to get people back to work, and tracking some of the money Colorado will be receiving from the federal stimulus. Uh, Since we don't have any hot bills to start the show with, I just wanted to share kind of an interesting fact that I came across. Uh, We learned this week how much the two big field hospitals that are going up in the uh, Colorado Convention Center here in Denver and up at the ranch in Loveland learned how much those are going to cost. An estimated $71 million combined, and that's an order of magnitude estimate, so that could change a lot. The state's going to be responsible currently for about 25% of that, nearly $20 million. Uh, Polis and other governors are asking FEMA and the feds to please just pick up the full tab because Colorado's really looking at its uh, its wallet, and the wallet's looking pretty dusty right now, so they could use some help with that, they say. So, Benta, let's flash back to the beginning of the session. Maybe we can get some kind of dreamy, dream sequence music here. Those early days, like, they feel like they were 100 years ago at this point, right? (laughs) I think that's right, yeah. And one of the big things we were talking about back then was how the governor and the Democratic-controlled legislature were going to work out some of their competing priorities on a couple of really big policies. We had Governor Polis pushing for a public option for health care. And at the same time, some legislative Democrats were trying to move forward with a state-run paid family leave program. Yeah, I remember in our in our editorial meetings just talking about those as these things that we wanted to be way ahead of and that we're going to dominate, you know, so much of the legislative conversation. But now they almost feel invisible, those bills. Yeah, kind of. I would I couldn't go wouldn't go quite that far, but I do think it's fair to say the focus has shifted just dramatically in the most immediate critical need for lawmakers is to pass a balanced budget. Yeah, absolutely. So right now that budget is just a huge looming problem. Now, the irony, though, is that these 
these issues that the Democrats wanted to discuss, paid leave and health insurance reform, they're everywhere right now. You know, you're seeing so much attention on the fact that uh, grocery store workers are going to work sick because they don't feel like they can go without that paycheck. And then, of course, millions of Americans have health insurance through their work. What happens if people lose their jobs and those jobs don't come back? Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of a dilemma or even a paradox for if you're a Democrat deciding what do you want to focus on right now. So I figured it was time to ask, does this crisis give these policies a boost because there's so much attention on these issues? Or does it just really derail any chance that we'll see state legislative action on them this year? So what did you find out? Well, when I called up the lawmakers behind this bill, the first thing that came up was the state budget. So much of this, they're waiting on seeing the final or something, a better estimate of the devastation that this is really going to bring. You remember last month they were talking about maybe a $1 billion hit to the state's expected revenue over the next you know year and a half or so. That would have meant basically no growth, but not necessarily huge cuts. Now forecasters are talking about up to a $3 billion drop from the proposed budget. So that would mean losing about 10% of the expected spending overall that they were expecting to do. Uh, in this coming fiscal year. And that that would actually potentially involve cuts to existing programs. We're also still waiting to see how some of the federal aid could potentially be used here to offset proposed cuts at the state level. But given how deep we're probably going to have to cut, it's hard to imagine Colorado won't have to make some significant changes to some state programs. You're right. It's it's not just these new bills that were that were already out there. This also threatens you know, stuff that's been a priority for Governor Jared Polis, expanding free preschool, investing in the state parks. Are they still going to be able to open the, the new state park at Fisher's Peak, money for transportation? And these were just some of Governor Polis's priorities. Yes. So no surprise, when I called around again about paid leave and the public option, the, these even bigger new ideas, there was a lot of trepidation. Rep. Dylan Roberts, who's a sponsor of the public option bill, said that he would understand if you know, his colleagues in the caucus wanted to go with a different priority right now or, or weren't able to, to get the public option bill through. But at the same time, he reiterated the point that he believes it's just as necessary as ever that people have health insurance and that his bill is important. So these lawmakers aren't giving up yet, but they're saying that a lot of these new priorities will ride on the budget. Yeah, and I talked to one Republican who said, look, the COVID-19 pandemic is one reason he doesn't support paid family leave or Mm. public option, because he said it shows how dramatically the economy can shift in just mere moments. And when we suddenly have a lot of money, then we don't anymore. And how do we sustain new big government programs? He, he thinks it's dangerous to obligate the state moving forward to a lot of big programs. So I, I think that's something we're going to hear, especially from Republicans. And then also the business community was already very wary of paid leave and what it would mean for businesses, putting them on the hook potentially for more costs. I, I even talked to a Democrat who said we're definitely going to have to balance that moving forward when businesses have been so hard hit by COVID-19. Yeah. You know, you just highlighted, Ben, to the fact that the authors of these bills had tried to avoid obligating the state itself to paying all these huge new costs, you know, paying for people's wages when they need time off or uh, paying for medical treatment. Instead, they were supposed to target the business community. The big idea with paid leave was that businesses and to some extent employees would pay fees that would fund this program. With the public option, it was supposed to target 
what Governor Polis described as these big profits for some of the hospitals. That's a really different and probably a harder sell when you've got businesses suffering pretty big losses, employees suffering as well. These bills kind of came from a different time when the economy was booming. The idea of capping hospital profits, forcing employers to pay for stuff felt more doable. This all just highlights how many unknowns are out there. We all know that about life. It, that's the way with the session. That's what's going on with our government right now. Mm-hmm. Democrats had a lot of big plans for what they wanted to do. Now everything's upended. And we still have so many unknowns moving forward about the federal money and where that's going and what the next economic forecast for the state will show us, what the budget cuts will really look like. And in the months ahead, what gaps the state government really needs to try to fill, it's very unpredictable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've got these unknowns. And as Donald Rumsfeld would put it, the unknown unknowns and probably just like an unknown number of unknown unknowns. And on top of that, we have elections in November, not just presidential elections, but also state house and Senate elections. So So no big deal, right, Andy? No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) For our next segment, I wanted to kind of keep looking back at the beginning of the session and all of our expectations versus what's happening now. One of the first things we talked about, Benta, was was Governor Polis and how he uses the power of his office. Right. We see a governor who's detail-oriented and who's more direct than his predecessor, Governor John Hickenlooper, makes it clear what he supports and what he opposes. We noticed that pretty much right after he was elected during the last legislative session and coming into this legislative session. Of course, we never anticipated being in the place we are now under a declared state of emergency. Right. And this coronavirus crisis has given Polis even more of a chance, you know, three times a week to display his communication style and to develop it further. Uh, We've seen his kind of wonky side on display. There's been lots of charts and graphs. um, And as things have gone on, more and more data, which he is insistent is what guides his decisions. From the media to other lawmakers, people have pushed for more information to be Mm. released. We're now starting to get data on racial and ethnic stats for people who have contracted COVID-19, getting information on the number of people discharged from hospitals, information on what's happening at senior centers. So we're getting more and more of that. Still, I think there's such a hunger for as much information as possible. Polis recently released information on what he was looking at in the next phase of reopening the economy. That's been one of the biggest questions. Yeah, and he says we're still in this urgent phase. And when he talks about the next phase, which he said was the stabilization phase, he wants to see increased testing and contract Mm. tracing and then quarantining people, social distancing. But what was interesting is he said, we're going to continue to ban large gatherings as a state. So even when the stay-at-home order is lifted, what does that mean for large gatherings? What does that mean for summer tourism and sports and lots of other things? It's not going to be raising the curtain and everything's back to normal. You know, even if he allows the stay-at-home order to expire later this month, his description is that, you know, the the general restrictions on all these different businesses will kind of roll off one by one as appropriate. And as to large gatherings, you know, reporters really pressed him on baseball of all things this week. And Polis is a big baseball fan. He said that from everything he's heard from the MLB and also from his own judgment that we probably won't be having, you know, 
packed Coors Field this year. Instead, uh, it's going to be that's going to be an example of this kind of new normal baseball being played in front of an empty stadium or other businesses opening up with very limited capacity. And we've talked, Andy, about how politics has been put aside a little bit. And I I still think that's the case. But Mm. the longer these restrictions go on, the more we're seeing people criticize how long it's lasting, how it's been done and implemented and urging for things to be lifted. So Polis is starting to get more pushback Mm. on his use of executive power. Yeah, I think there's a, a protest planned for soon, and that's part of this kind of wave of, of different demonstrations and protests in different states. Remains to be seen how much popular support they actually have, but people are showing up either in their cars or in person, not very much social distancing, to say, reopen this state. And that's happening all across the country, or at least in a handful of states. How much tension do you think there's going to be going forward over what gets reopened first and how much certain industries can reopen compared to others? Oh, tons. I'm sure that many industries lobbyists are working overtime right now to make the case of what's essential and what can be done safely because Polis and his administration are going to be making these decisions, again, on kind of a one-by-one basis and also making decisions about what it means to operate safely. At his most recent press conference, Polis mentioned the idea that for some industries, you know, they could reopen if they have enough plexiglass barriers or they could stagger shifts. They could have fewer customers in or they could keep on doing teleworking. And each one of those decisions is going to bring different costs and different impacts for all these businesses. And of course, the number one thing they're all aiming for is getting back to business as soon as possible. And, you know, Polis himself has also said that that's his goal, that he's described the stay-at-home order himself. He, You know, he, he sounds like he agrees with the protesters. It's not sustainable economically or psychologically, he says. Uh, but he says we got to stick with it until we can we can get rid of it, basically. And what's interesting nationally is we've heard business leaders from around the country who want the economy to reopen as fast as possible are urging caution because their big concern is if the testing and the safety measures aren't in place, we could reopen the economy too soon and end up right back where we are now and sets everything back months. Well, Benta, let's wrap up this very abnormal episode of uh, Purplish with the thing we always like to do, a segment called Wait What, where we just uh, share something that caught our attention, something weird, something interesting from the week. So I've got this week's Wait What, and it comes from a report by The Verge, which is a tech publication. And this story was all about why states are struggling so much to accept this huge surge of unemployment applications, and also why some of them, including Colorado, are taking a couple of few weeks to open up these new categories of unemployment, including for people like independent contractors. You know, the Fed's passed that law at the beginning of the month or so, and Colorado still isn't accepting these new applications. Part of the reason, according to The Verge, is that Colorado's employment system runs at least in part on a a coding language called COBOL, C-O-B-O-L. And COBOL, uh, if you want to take a guess when, when uh, when that was designed, I'm guessing it's it's not recent for you to be talking about this. It has to be going pretty far back. So I'm going to say the 19 mid-1980s. Ooh, good try. 1959, uh, designed by one Grace wow. Hopper. 
by the U.S. Department of Defense of all places. Uh, so pre-internet, pre-modern computer. Of course, it's evolved since then. But the problem is that not a lot of people still work in COBOL. Not a popular language, but it's the it's the bones of uh, everything from ATMs to, as we're learning, a lot of state systems. So, Andy, Colorado's Colorado's not alone here. There's other states that are using this for unemployment claims. Totally. Uh, this is a really persistent problem for all kinds of kind of legacy systems. It's hard to port these things over. And then the the compounded problem is that not a lot of people still know how to do it. So according to The Verge, Colorado has one person who maintains that uh, that database and they're bringing on another to help with the programming. Most of these folks need to come out of retirement. The same thing actually happened with Y2K where they just didn't have people who could work in these systems. So that's my wait what uh, state's still running on ancient technology, not uncommon, but now we're seeing uh, just what kind of problems and pain that can cause. Yeah, Andy, probably one of the, the many things we're learning that we people wouldn't have picked up on had we not been in this situation. That's right. And ironically, uh, The Verge reported that Colorado was getting ready to replace that system within a matter of months. So bad timing. That does it for this week's episode. We hope to be back with you soon. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andy Kenny with my colleague Benta Berkland. This episode was edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. To keep up with us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. We'll be back in your podcast feed sometime soon. Until then, catch us on air on Colorado Public Radio and online at CPR.org. This is Purplish from CPR News. Reductions across state government. Oh. Sorry, I I picked up a dog there. That's my dog. Oh, okay.